Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Well, today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Jonah, okay? The book of Jonah. Jonah is a very familiar person and character in the Bible. And today, we're going to be talking about final decisions, Final decisions, because, uh, you know, it is apropos that we talk about final decisions. We're going to learn some things about Jonah, even though we know him. Uh, you know, one of our you know, very well-known characters in the Bible, uh, him and that big fish, by the way. The, the fish is pretty popular as well. Final decisions. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus even spoke of Jonah in Matthew, the 12th chapter. Uh, something you may not know, though, is that the Jewish rabbis, they teach that Jonah was the son of that widow woman in Zarephath that was collecting sticks and she was going to, you know, cook her last meal and the prophet Elijah said, you know, make me a cake first. First Kings 17, you can read about it in First Kings 17. Well, uh, the, the Jewish rabbis teach that Jonah was that little boy, that little son. And that, you know, later on, if you read in 1 Kings 17, he died and, and Elijah raised him back to life. We can't know for certain if that was uh, that little boy or not. But the Jewish rabbis teach this, and they are the best source of extra-biblical information that we have concerning how to fill the gaps in, in uh, what the Bible, you know, uh, tells us and the things it leaves out. And so, uh, w without respect to whether he was or whether he wasn't, we find him at some point living in the Galilee as a grown man. His father was from the tribe of Zebulon, as we understand, and they inherited in the Galilee. And, and uh, you know, he is a Jewish prophet, and uh, it's fairly clear to read the book of Jonah that Jonah was very prejudiced. Okay? Uh, Jonah was biased. Jonas was prejudiced. Uh, he liked the Jews better than he liked the Gentiles. That just, uh, you know, that, that just goes to show, if you're reading in the Word of God, that the Word of God just gives you, it, gives you the story just like it is. Well, Jonah uh, really, um, you know, he, was, uh, he liked the Jews better, and his bias was based on his upbringing and also on his religious national beliefs. His religious beliefs and his national beliefs, uh, which were wrong, by the way, told him and taught him as a little boy that, that God was the God of the Jews only. And this is what he believed. And it seemed that Jonah had a real problem imagining how God could be as good to Gentiles as he was to Jews. And, and, and this was not an isolated belief, by the way. Everyone in Jonah's circle believed God was partial to the Jews, and they knew in their heart that there's no way that God could agree with or support the Gentiles and the ungodly ways of the Ninevites. Well, Jonah could not imagine that, that these Gentile Ninevites were as important as the Jews and that, you know, uh, uh, that there's no way that God loved them like he did the Jews. That's, that was his imagination. Uh, Jonah certainly did not love them himself. And uh, perhaps that was his first and his biggest mistake. There are four chapters in the book of Jonah, and today we're going to take a couple of verses out of each chapter, and we're going to focus on one thing from each chapter. 
one of the many things in each chapter that God wants to reveal to us. And these things will apply to our lives today, to our nation today. But please do not relegate them to only applying to our situation today. Please realize that the Word of God is multifaceted. This will apply to your finances. It will apply to your relationships. It will apply to everything in life. The Word of God is that powerful. So uh, let's begin. And uh, let's, let's remember now the, town, the, the, the city of Nineveh is the Assyrian capital. It was built by Nimrod. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 10. It was a great and mighty fortress city. Perhaps 600,000 to 800,000 people lived there. It had been in existence since, you know, uh, since, you know, uh, 1,300 years or so. And at right now, it is about the year 862 B.C. This is the time uh, just after King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. In fact... Uh, Jonah was born during Ahab's reign and now he's grown up and the king of Israel is Jehu and so here he's living in Galilee and God's going to say something to Jonah isn't it amazing that God uses prejudiced people oh that's a pretty good deal isn't it okay go with me here we're the best he's got okay Jonah the first chapter verse 1 now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now, if you know the account, Jonah said, Nah, ain't going to do that. And he goes the opposite direction, and he goes down to the city of Joppa. He's not going to Nineveh. He doesn't like the Ninevites. I mean, these are some cruel, mean, horrible people. These are the people that, you know, were, were the, the Assyrians that came and raided Israel, and they were, they were bad, they were wicked, they were evil, they were horrible, they were liars, they were cheaters, they were, they were everything else. And there's no way in the world... That, 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 that this could be real. I'm not going. And so Jonah goes the other direction. He gets into a boat in Joppa, and he starts sailing across the Mediterranean Sea. He's going to go to, the, to, uh, to what is now Turkey. He imagines that God is the God of the Jews, and if he can get out of Israel, then he can get away from God. You know, uh, and, and maybe God will leave him alone about this. Okay? So, but, but he's wrong. Okay, so you remember he gets in that boat and he, he goes down to the boat and he goes to sleep. And so the ship goes sailing out in the Mediterranean and out somewhere in the deep waters, way away from the shore, there comes this great and mighty storm. And this storm is about to capsize the boat. It is horrible. And there's nothing that anyone can do. They try their very best to try to get it to shore and they can't. The, you know, the, the mariners, while Jonah is asleep in the ship, the mariners are unloading all the cargo off the ship. They're just chewing anything they can. And then they start praying to their gods and then they start you know doing everything they can trying their best to to um, you know to save the ship and save the lives but they can't and as a last resort they decide you know well they wake Jonah up and say pray to your God you know pray to your God we're praying to ours so, well um, 
As a last resort, they cast lots. You know, that means they basically rolled dice or they, you know, shook bones out of a can or they put a bunch of rocks in a can and, you know, um, you know a bunch of one color and only one of, of, of another color and, you know, they shake them in front of people, whatever. It's, maybe they did rock, paper, scissors. I don't know. But, you know, whatever they did, it ended up that it pointed to Jonah. Jonah is the problem. So they said, Jonah, this thing, you know, I mean, I mean uh, our divination tells us that you are the problem. He said, yep, it's right. Well, what's going on? Where are you from? You know, well, I am from Israel, and my God is the God of the land and the God of the sea. And he is the God that is sending this storm. And, you know, he's going to kill us all if, I, you know, if you don't do something drastic. Well, what do we got to do? Well, you need to throw me overboard. Isn't it horrible? That, 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 that you got to get somebody off your ship before the storm will stop? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so here they said, no, we don't want to do that. I mean, if your God is the God of the land and the sea, we don't want to upset him by throwing one of his kids over, you know. So they, they row and row and row and try to paddle and can't get in either. And so finally they say, okay, sorry, God. I mean, we're really sorry. We don't want to offend you, Jehovah, you know. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is what he says do. So they pick him up. And throw him over. You know, if Jonah was really nice, he'd have jumped. <laughs> threw him over. It's horrible that you make your friends be so ugly sometimes, isn't it? People trying to help you and you make them be so mean, you know? <laughs> threw him over. So, uh, you know, the storm stopped. That shocked them. They started sacrificing and worshiping Jehovah and praying to him and said, he is God. Wow. Well, well uh, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the fish was not punishment. The fish was salvation. Here was the redemptive act of God. God is always moving to redeem, and the fish had been prepared. God knew what Jonah was going to do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is to me. In fact, that's our first point today. The first thing that we learn is that we will never catch God unprepared. We will never catch God unprepared. We will never throw a, a, a curveball that God won't knock out of the park. You know, I mean, you can't, you, you can't even begin to catch God unprepared. Unprepared for what you're going to do or unprepared for what somebody's going to do to you. You cannot catch God unprepared. God had spent no telling how long, maybe decades or longer, maybe millennia, absolutely getting that fish prepared and getting him in the right place at the right time. You see, there is no other God. It's amazing how, how you know, we, we, we cannot catch God unprepared. Sometimes people imagine that, that God and the devil are co-equal enemies, and they're just duking it out to see who's going to win the, the battle for the souls of men or the universe. Not true. Okay? God is the only God. He, is the only, he was from the beginning. There was none before him. There'll be none after him. The devil is a created being. He's like down here. God is way up there. You know, they're not co-equal enemies. God, what sets him apart from, from, from everything else and from every other claim and from every other religion or every other idol, what sets God apart is that God knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. And he is always prepared. It's not over just because somebody says no 
to God. It's not over just because people decide that they're not going to participate. It's not over even if everyone in your world agrees with you. Even, uh, you know, it's, it's not over till God says it's over. Amen? What set God apart? Isaiah, the 46th chapter, verse 10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I love that. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 138, 8, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You know, uh, uh, the, 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 the works of God's hands he will not forsake. He will perfect that which concerns us. Jonah was in a moment, okay? Jonah was in an interesting moment. Now, the Bible says that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And the Bible says that when that fish got basically to the bottom of the ocean, got way down there, and seaweeds were wrapped around Jonah, and he considered himself to be in the belly of hell, that he lifted up his eyes and he cried out to God. He had a come-to-Jesus moment here, okay? He had a realization that, 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 you know, uh, that God had a different idea than what he had. And what happened to Jonah is that Jonah came to an epiphany. That brings us up to our second point today that we'll find in chapter 2 is that those who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Now what does this mean? Many of the translations are going to read lying vanities as idols, and that is accurate. Those who observe their own idols, those who make and pay attention to and worship their own idols. Well, you know, an idol cannot make itself. People make idols. And whenever we make an idol and begin to worship something that we have created, that we have made, we begin to forsake our own mercies. We begin to take ourselves outside of the mercy that God is wanting to give to us. It appears that Jonah is not only talking about these mariners who in their time of trouble began to sacrifice and pray to their gods, but also Jonah is talking about himself and mankind as a whole. We who make idols and begin to worship the idols we have made forsaking our own God. It's certain that Jonah did not like the Ninevites. And it's certain that Jonah did not believe that they deserved a second chance. And that's what Jonah was concerned about. Jonah was concerned that if he actually went over there and told them about a loving God that, that, that was yet a stern God, that they would repent and that God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't want that. He didn't like them. He didn't want them to do any better. He didn't care about them. And he could not imagine that God cared about them. He felt as though that he was right. And sometimes when a person like Jonah, even a person that is called by God, even a child of God, even a prophet of God, sometimes whenever an individual really believes that they are right and they have been wronged, they begin, begin to worship the idol of their own opinion. They can begin to worship the God of how I feel. Oh, listen to me, saints. This is good stuff. 
Sometimes people make an idol out of how they feel. And they will excuse themselves from obeying God because I feel this. Because this is what I think. This is what I feel. This is what I want. So I no longer have to be subject to that word of God because that word of God does not address how I feel. Oh my goodness. Shandai. Jonah observed his own lie, the lie that he had told himself, the lie that he had been raised with, the lie that, that, that God loved him more than he loved some lost Gentile Ninevite. How could God love them? They're wicked. They're evil, they're ungodly, they're liars, they're cheaters. How could God care anything about them? That's what Jonah believed. And he observed, or he, he, he observed his own lie. He made an idol out of the way he felt, and he worshipped at the altar of his own opinion. And by the way, his opinion was based on facts. They were liars and cheaters and wicked Gentiles. Hello? It wasn't that Jonah was was wrong about the Ninevites. He was wrong about God. Hello? Boy, I'm doing some good preaching this morning. And Jonah's opinion was supported by others in Jonah's personal circle. Everybody Jonah knew felt, felt the same way. He, this is one of the problems of living in an echo chamber. This is one of the problems of surrounding ourselves. Whether you surround yourselves with people who like it or people that didn't like it. When you, once you surround yourself, all you can hear is the echo of your own opinion coming back at you. And all you believe is what everybody else around you believes. And you feel so strong because you feel so supported. Because everybody you know feels the same way. And if everybody I know feels the same way, then why in the world is it like this? And you begin to justify how you feel, even when you don't feel godly. Beware of the echo chambers of life and beware of the social media platforms that surround you and constantly spy on you, listening to every word you say so that they can just refeed you your own vomit. Okay, it's getting quiet here. <laughs> it's reality, folks. Although Jonah was surrounded by people who felt just like he did, and although it was horrible for Jonah to even imagine, yet God felt differently. God felt different than Jonah and his supporters. But you see, Jonah valued his own opinion more than he valued God's plan. And in this Jonah became his own worst enemy. Jonah began to rob himself of all of the joy of being a child of God. He began to rob himself of all of the potential of being called by God. He began to rob himself of all of the hope that he could have found in God. He ended up robbing himself of everything. He even ended up wanting to die. Here a child, a prophet of God, called by God, being used by God, holding the greatest revival that had ever been seen in the history of the world. 600,000, 800,000 people saved and repented and he 
he can't even find any happiness in that? He robbed himself of so much. Jonah 2, verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. It was in the belly of the fish that Jonah had this rude awakening and realized God was just a little bit bigger than he was. And he realized God is boss. You see, Jonah changed his mind and decided to not forsake the mercy of God. But Jonah didn't change his heart. He changed his mind about doing what God wanted him to do, but he didn't change his heart about how he felt. He still felt like God was wrong. But verse 9 says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to be thankful for what God is doing. Hello? Sometimes it is a sacrifice to be thankful and to do what I said I would do. If you have ever in your life said, oh God, if you ever need anything, call on me, I'll do it. Well, this may be it. Pay your vow. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 uh, tells us, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know two things that, that people can do. Jeremiah the prophet said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold no water. Two evils. Number one, they have forsaken the fountain of living water. I mean, God is is, is a fountain, a wellspring of life. Jonah could have been sitting in the wellspring of life, and instead he was sitting in his own broken cistern. He had dug himself a hole and gotten into it, and it was broken. Couldn't even hold any water. How many times do we dig our own holes? How many times do we just dig a broken hole that can't even hold water and sit in it in sadness whenever God is right over there with a wellspring of life and we're children of God? My goodness, we should be happy. We should be excited. We should be ready to, to, to do whatever God asks because we know that God will perfect that which concerns us. Where is our trust? In our own opinion? In the way we feel? Well, you know, Jonah prayed to God out of the belly of that fish. And the Lord caused the fish to spit Jonah up on dry ground. He vomited him up on dry ground. Our third point this morning is that most likely... God still wants you to do whatever he wanted you to do the last time you talked. Most likely, God still wants you to do what he wanted you to do the last time you talked. Not always, by the way. Not always, but most of the time, God will want you to do the last thing he told you. God is pretty sure about what he wants. Jonah, the third chapter, tells us that in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time, saying, Didn't we just talk about this? Arise, go to Nineveh. You were in better shape the last time I talked to you. Now you those 13 essential amino acids in the belly of that fish done bleached you plum, you know, uh, funny looking. You know, and your clothes are all ragged. And on top of that, he spits you out on the, on, on, on the shore. You done, I mean, can you imagine him rolling? Imagine what his hair looked like. And he smelled horrible. Now, if you want to get yourself into that shape before you cry out to God, go ahead. But I'm going to tell you what, he's going to tell you to do the same thing he told you to do last time. 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I tell you to preach. Oh, isn't that great? I love that God is consistent, that he will persevere as it is. Number four, what's the fourth thing that we learn? The fourth thing we learn is that it is not good to be angry about a decision that God has made. You see, when Jonah finally obeys God and starts walking through the city, he says, repent, for in 40 days the Lord will judge this city and destroy it. Well, the people heard the message, even the king, and they began to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And they sat down and they said, oh, no, we don't want to be burned up. We don't want to be destroyed. Okay, what do we need to do? And so the Bible says that God saw their repentance and he gave them another chance. God is the God of a second chance. He gave them another chance. And it made Jonah so mad. Jonah got so angry, he said, God, I had just, you know, just go ahead and kill me, God. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were a God of mercy. I knew you were a God of a second chance, and I didn't want those people to have a second chance. They have been coming over here and bothering us for so many years. They've been, you know, uh, raiding our territories, and these Assyrians, God, I, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew you'd give them another chance. Just go ahead and kill me, God. And so God says in Jonah, the fourth chapter, in verse 4, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Do you really think you're doing yourself any good here? Do you really imagine that your anger is going to help in this situation? It's going to help you or going to change anything? It's just digging a hole of sorrow and sadness and grief and worry and frustration and irritation. And you've already gotten yourself to the place where you just want to die. You want me to kill you. God cares, you know, God cares about us. But he cares about everybody. That doesn't water down the blood of Jesus in my life. People often act like they care most about their, uh, their passions, their personal comfort, their possessions, which will perish. God cares about imperishable souls. And God happens to have a plan. We have an opinion. God has a plan. Plans trump opinions. We know God is good and merciful and kind, and we should expect Him to act that way. Even when He acts that way toward our enemies. Chapter 4, verse 9, And God said to Jonah a second time, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd that God had caused to grow up? And then He, made, you know, he, he gave the worm a little food. He made the worm too. And the worm got to eat. The worm was happy, I bet. Isn't it horrible that a worm that you pass on the sidewalk can be happier than you are? <laughs> He's going to live and die, and that'll be the end of it. You're going to live forever in a mansion that's wonderful. What do you have to be sad about with a happy worm and all he needed was a blade of grass? Some gourd. And he said, Jonah said to God, I do well to be angry, even unto death. 
I'm never going to be happy. I've met that guy. You ever met that person? Lord help him. Okay, well, do you mind standing over there then? <laughs> I'm on my way to heaven, and I just can't get this smile off my face. You know? Verse 11, God kind of told Jonah at the end of the book, and should, I, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and so much cattle? God even cared about the animals. You know, should not I spare them? I mean, 120,000 of them don't even know what they're doing. That's what Jesus said. Forgive them, God. They're not, they don't even know what they're doing. Uh, so many of them don't even know what they're doing. Don't even understand what's going on. Innocent. You know, for their sakes and for the sake of the innocent. And, you know, God had mercy, just like Jonah knew that he would. You see, God has more invested in this generation than you and I do. He has more invested in the next generation, the next generation, and should he tarry, the next and the next and the next generation. And God is working for souls in heaven, not for my comfort, not for my opinion. God has a plan. And believe me, when I tell you the truth that only God can make a final decision it's not over until God says it's over only God can make a final decision one of the biggest miscalculations people make when considering God is that they mistake his kindness for weakness they mistake his love for a lack of resolve. God is not weak. God is, is not you know, unkind. And he's not without resolve. In no way does God wink at sin. What God did in the book of Jonah was to give the nation the Assyrian city, Nineveh, and the Assyrians a second chance. God did not give them a license to sin. Lying and cheating and adultery and morality, all of these things, all the ungodliness is still ungodliness. God did not give them a pass. He gave them a second chance. He didn't forget the second chance that he gave to Nineveh. God watched to see if their repentance was true repentance or if it was just, you know, they were only changing because they didn't want to get caught and didn't want to have to pay the penalty. And when God saw that their repentance was not true repentance, read the history. Just a few years later, Nineveh was just as wicked as it ever had been. God was the God of a second chance. But just a few years later, 
according to the prophecies of Nahum, Isaiah, and Zephaniah that all prophesied against Nineveh before Jonah ever came on the scene. God gave Nineveh one more chance. But then right down the road, a few years later, God saw that they're not going to change. And God sent the Babylonians and the Medes to surround the city. And history tells us that the Tigris River, you know, only God controls these things. The Tigris River swelled to the point that that ancient fortress called Nineveh, which was impenetrable by armies, built by Nimrod, that the Tigris River washed the walls down and the Babylonians and the Medes went in and they overcame the city and destroyed and killed the people and the animals. And the city was then torn down and burned and has never again been rebuilt. That's the end of the story. God is the God of a second chance, but He's not the God that winks at sin. He'll give everyone a chance to change, but if they don't, some worse fate awaits them. God is the God of final decisions. I leave you with this. God is always prepared. Number two, His opinion is greater than ours. Number three, He still needs our help. Be hopeful. Be faithful to God. And that number four, we can depend on God to make every final decision. And I'm here to tell you that the decision that God makes, when He makes it, you will know it. And we will support it. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, Receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.